Well, Luke's been taking us through this series on This Is Us, just talking about who we are as a church. Um, and, it, and it's really been dealing with what are our values. Because if you don't have a value system in your life, then you will be, as Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, you'll end up being swayed by every wind of doctrine. You'll get pushed from pillar to post. You won't really have anything to hold on to. So value system is very important. So that's what really what we've been talking about. Um, the kingdom of God is not random. It's structured. It's organised. Um, it's not just a random collection of religious ideas. It has design and purpose and structure. And uh, there, there, was a, there was a phrase, a saying that became popular a number of years ago that led to a movement that became popular for a while. Um, and, that, and it was this, organ, organ, organic, not organisational. Has anyone heard of that? Yeah. And, and it led to kind of breakaway movements of, of people gathering together. The, the idea was basically like this. We don't, we don't want to have anything to do with any kind of organised or structured kind of church at all. We, we want to just be a bunch of people who get together whenever we feel like it, in a coffee shop, under a tree, at the beach, whatever, and let's just get together as a bunch of friends and let's just see what God's going to do. Now, in one sense, that's good because you want people to get together. You want to have this organic, spontaneous thing happening. But it can never replace the biblical picture of the church because what ends up happening with those things is um, eventually you get the power plays that take place because someone wants to be the loudest voice. It ends up being these uh, political and theological arguments, not necessarily based on scripture, but based on whoever the loudest voice is and on their opinion and their idea. And so those things end up just as chaos. In the end, they just lead to anarchy, rebellion, rejection of the truth of the word of God, and we just go by our feelings rather than truth. Right? That's, that's not a good picture of the church that Jesus came to establish. Everything in the kingdom has structure. It has design. God created everything with structure. If you look at a tree or a leaf, you can see that's an organic thing. But it has structure. A tree has roots that draw nourishment out of the earth. It has a trunk for strength. It has branches and stems. It grows leaves that, you know, and, and to produce fruit and flowers and everything. Leaves have a structure. If they didn't, they just wouldn't function properly. The tree wouldn't function. You and I have a skeleton that your, you know, your muscles and everything else hang on. It's there to protect your vital organs. It's there to hold you upright. It enables you to walk and get around. If you didn't have it, you'd just be a bag of skin. You'd just be like an amoeba laying on the ground. You wouldn't be able to do anything. No, we need structure. We need design. Um, heaven has structure. You've got the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. All are equally God. All are equal. All are God. That's why when you read in, in Isaiah and Ezekiel and in, in uh, Revelation where it has these songs, holy, 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 worthy, 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 glory, glory, glory. It's worship going to all three. And yet they are intrinsically one but three. 
Don't ask me to explain that. Take us to, we'd be here all day. But there is structure in heaven. Because we know, especially when Jesus walked the earth, he, he, he submitted himself to the Father. He said, when he was in Gethsemane, he says, not my will be done, but yours, O Lord. He, he only did what he saw the Father do. He, he spoke what he heard the Father speak. The Holy Spirit, equally God, worthy of worship, deserves our worship, but his, but his role on the earth, much of what he does, is to direct our focus to Jesus and to direct our worship to Jesus. But he's equally God. And so God has structure within the Trinity, within heaven itself. Um, all honour God. The angels worship him. They're there to do his bidding. There are other created creatures. There's mankind. We're there to honour him and honour his word. Government, to govern is to administrate, to rule, to guide. It's the dominion of something. A government is the executive policy-making body. The Trinity in heaven is the executive governmental policy-making body. But on earth, and here's the exciting good news, folks, is that God has decided to actually extend that body to include you and I. Isn't that good news? That God himself, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and his church is the executive body to exert governmental authority and dominion on this planet. Wow, that's a privileged position to hold, isn't it? Heaven is ruled by what comes out of the word of God. What happens on earth, this earth is ruled by what comes out of the word of God, but also by what comes out of your mouth. There's power in our words. Look at this. Hebrews 1, verse 3 says, All things are sustained and held together by his word. The world was created by his word. In the beginning was the word. Through that word, all things came into existence. That word became flesh and lived amongst us. Who was it? Jesus, full of grace and truth. The word of God is full of truth. 1 Peter 1 says, We've been born again through the enduring Word of God. We've been made clean by the Word of God. John 15. John 17, we've been sanctified through the Word. Colossians 3, Paul says, let your lives be filled, let your hearts be full of the Word of God. We get a lot of people who come to church Sunday by Sunday, not here, but right across to the church, right across the world, they come faithfully Sunday by Sunday. They actually love God, but there's nothing of the Word. There's very little of the Word. We need the Word of God because it gives authority to our life. It gives us a foundation to stand upon. Amen? If you don't, if you don't believe in the efficacy, the veracity of the Word of God, you won't have His governmental rule in your life. And you'll have no authority in your life. It's the very foundation for what we stand on. It's Jesus, because Jesus is the Word. Amen? 
and, and when people start to attack the word of God, you know, they say, I'm a Christian, but I don't actually believe in the virgin birth. I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in the story of creation. What are we doing? We're undermining the truth of the word of God. And the moment you do that, authority just goes out the door for your life. And so we want to be a church and a people who believe in the government of God. You know, even the devil has an authority structure. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, and he talks about principalities and powers. He, 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 he has a, a, he, he's just copied it from God, an authority structure that's there. In Romans chapter, uh, um, Matthew, I think, Matthew chapter 8, you know, the story of the, uh, the Roman centurion, he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, my servant is sick. And, uh, and Jesus says to him, okay, well, I'll go. I'll go to him. Because this guy believes in what Jesus can do. He's heard the stories. Maybe he's even seen with his own eyes what Jesus can do, the authority, the governmental authority that he carries over sickness. And, and so Jesus says, I'll come. And the guy says, no, you don't need to come. Jesus, just say the word. Just speak. And I know that as you speak, my servant's going to be healed. And Jesus is just amazed. He says, I've never seen such faith as this. He believed in the spoken word. But here's what he says. He says, I'm a man under authority. So I know you have authority. So just speak. Man, there's such power in the spoken word of God. Jesus gave authority to his disciples. In, uh, in Matthew 10, he calls his disciples together and he gives them authority to speak his word, to go and preach. But not just that. He says, as you preach, go and do this. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons, right? Raise the dead. Freely you have received, freely give. Jesus had been giving them life-giving truth through his words. And when they stood on that, suddenly governmental authority comes into their life and they're actually able to go and actually release the governmental authority, the dominion of heaven's rule into people's lives. And that's what Jesus did everywhere he went. See, sickness and disease is not from heaven. That's from another realm. But Jesus comes and brings his authority into those situations. And what happens? The, the, the government of heaven, the dominion, the rule of heaven breaks in to someone's life and breaks into a situation and suddenly things change. And that's why it's so important for us folks to feed on the word of God and be filled with the word of God because it carries the governmental authority. Here's the amazing thing. The, the disciples started to actually function like this and miracles and signs and wonders started to happen and they actually weren't yet born again. Isn't that amazing? That they could actually operate with this authority just because they chose to believe and do what Jesus said to do. <laughs> Incredible. That's the power of the word. That's the power of the governmental authority that Jesus carried. You know, we live in a world that's gone crazy, really. I mean, there's so much hatred and anger and strife and turmoil in the world. And it's primarily because of this, because people 
refuse to come under the government of God. They just refuse to come under his authority and under his government. They refuse sometimes to recognise any form of authority. You know, in Australia, we've got, uh, well, we've got three primary forms of government, don't we? We have local government, our local councils, um, we've got state governments and we've got federal government. Um, all, all three are meant to work together, if you're lucky. <laughs> it, it's been quite a disappointment, I don't know about you, but it's been a disappointment to me to see the way that uh, the media and other people have attacked our Prime Minister over the last number of weeks because of the bushfires. It, you know, it's like they're blaming him and accusing him of running out and actually lighting matches and, and starting fires. I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, I mean, the truth is that it's the local councils and state government that are actually meant to look after all that burn off of excess fuel and all the rest of it. It's not the federal government's responsibility. They, stand, they step in when they need to. Um, but there's all this finger pointing. And the reason for that is because there's a fourth area of government. Did you know that? It's not just federal, it's not just state, not just local government, but there's a fourth, and this is the one that everything, all other governments stem from. And it's this, it's personal government. See, we live in an age of entitlement. It's all about my rights, but people don't want to take responsibility. I think they've arrested some 200-odd people for lighting fires over the last couple of months. That's crazy. People just not taking personal responsibility. And if we, if we don't take that personal responsibility for our own lives and our own actions, our own decisions, chaos. No government authority even in your own life. The sad thing for me is that it happens even for believers. I said before, if we, if we reject the truth of the word of God, if we don't take and we don't take personal responsibility for our life, which needs to be based on this word, right? what happens? You don't have authority in your life. Oh, but Tony, isn't there... Isn't this Christian life meant to be just happy-go-lucky and all nice and organic? And Yeah, man, it's supposed to be full of joy and full of peace, but it needs to have structure. Isaiah 9 says this, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Of the increase of his government, and peace. You see, folk, wherever the government of God comes, there is a peace that comes. Of the end of his government and peace, there will be no end. Uh, Ephesians 1 says, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Folk, the only way that we're going to see the fullness of the governmental authority, the dominion, the rule of heaven come into this earth is through the church. 
working in partnership, in tandem with the Holy Spirit, trusting the word of God, speaking the words of God. It's through a people who have submitted themselves to his rule. And that is absolutely key, that we submit ourselves to the rule of God. A people who understand, man, we've been commissioned to carry something that's quite unique. To carry the glory of God, to carry the authority of God. You know, people argue against that and says, no, how, God would never allow you to carry his glory. Well, why not? Oh, because he says he will never share his glory with another. Well, I've got news for you. You're not another. You're not another. You've been made one with Christ. Your life is hidden in him and he is in you. You are now one spirit with him. So you're not another. <laughs> Isn't that good news? Man, that's amazing. So God places his glory and his authority upon us. And it's no good doing that if we don't do anything with it. See, not doing anything with his glory, not doing anything with his authority is actually being irresponsible. We're not taking on our responsibility to actually use what he has given to us. Amen? I'm getting a little bit sidetracked, so let me just come back. All right. I would normally just do this in a different type of setting. Normally this would be a kind of a leadership thing or on a Wednesday, not a Sunday, because it is kind of bit more of a teaching kind of thing. But I think it's important for every, everyone to understand God's authority structures, God's design and plan for the church. In the Old Testament, we see um, God establishing his authority structures right, right from the start. Right, You go back to the book of Genesis. He does it with family. He does it with people groups, tribes, nations. He does it with Israel, his chosen nation, um, and, and, and those who are in authority, those authority structures consisted of elders who were kind of the older, experienced people. You can read it all through the Old Testament. They would be the people who would sit at the, at the city gates and they would make decisions as to who could enter and who would leave. Uh, all the business transactions of the city. Um, you had judges who would judge on civil matters. You had... Um, the, the religious leaders of the day, the priests, who would judge on spiritual things. You had, then later you had kings and, and, and priests and so on, uh, kings and princes and stuff. Um, but over time, you, you, can, you can see this kind of, sometimes there were good leaders, sometimes bad ones, and if there were bad leaders, then the nation suffered. But there was a period in history in particular from where you get to the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, you're going to have a 400-year gap. And in that time, we don't have, you know, there's nothing written in Scripture, but we do have historical documents and historical books that were written that actually show that the leadership, both in civil and in the religious leadership, man, they got bad. They just did things that were crazy. And it was during that time that you get a lot of the extra-biblical writings that came up that... Um, the, you know, we know about Pharisees, right? Well, they, they emerged during this kind of 400-year gap period uh, 
And instead of actually leading people the way they should as spiritual leaders, they actually just became religious policemen. Right? And they started to actually abuse their authority and abuse people. So when Jesus comes along 400 years later, he starts to call them out. He start, you know, I mean, he's so you can't do that to people. You can't lord it over the people like this. You can't abuse them. You're, just, you're nothing more than hypocrites. And so he just calls a spade a spade. He starts calling them out for what they're doing. And then he does something interesting. He, he chooses 12 disciples. And, late, and then later on he designates them to be apostles, sent ones. Now why did he do that? Did he just want to have a few mates around? No, he did it because he, was, he knew what was coming. He was going to birth a church that would need some leadership, that would need a structure that could help administrate governmentally what he had in mind, planning for the future. We're going to talk in a few weeks' time about um, we, we're, that we're a church of generations. We want to be planning for the future for future generations, not just living selfishly for ourselves, but living for the next generation. Jesus knew what was coming. And so he chooses these, these men. Ephesians 2 says this, Consequently, we are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. We're not a wandering, purposeless people. We're being built together, built together on a foundation of biblical truth. In him, verse 21 says, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So that's the organic. But the organic rests and works together with an organizational model. Right? Not, not so highly and tightly structured that God can't move. And that's why people started to react. Because things became so tight that, 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 that God was kind of pushed out of the whole thing. We can never allow that to happen. We always want to allow God to do whatever he wants to do. But it happens with structure and design. Look at this. This is Ephesians 4. Because none of that's possible. None of of this desire for God's presence and being built together as a holy temple, none of that's possible without proper structure. And so Paul writes this. It says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be um, prophets, some evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. To do what? To prepare God's work, people, for works of service. Prepare God's people. Are you God's people? Then what are we to do? Serve. (laughs) Now that doesn't mean just doing any little menial task. It can include some of those things. But it's serving the purposes of God. It's serving in the life of the church to release the government of heaven into the earth. 
And, and he says that these guys are to equip us, to prepare us so that we can actually minister. Because that's what it's talking about. That all of us are ministers. Why do we, why did, instead of actually just calling people up to be prayed for this morning and have one person, you know, the pastor, pray for each one, why did we have people raise their hands and then, then the rest of you gather around them? With a confidence that you can actually pray for those people and see something happen. Because over years we've been equipping you, building your faith and expectation that something can happen, that you are a minister so that you can serve. That's, we're all in this thing together. Amen? All right, I'm going to skip some of this because we're running out of time. All right. So what have we got? This is a biblical government structure. And we value this. Apostles? What do apostles do? They go. They lay foundations. Got prophets. What do prophets do? Prophesy. Is that all they do? Their main role, we just read it, is to equip the rest of us so that we can serve, prophesy. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're all there grabbing a microphone, standing up and giving some prophecy. It actually means to live prophetically, that we can all hear God and that we can, we're, we're all being, being equipped to be a mouthpiece to speak his word. Amen? We, we leave too much of this stuff to just one person at the front. When this is all meant to be, we're meant to be equipped for, so that all of us can do this. Amen? That's the government of God. That's the rule of God flowing through us. Evangelists. Oh yeah, well they're the guys who just do an evangelistic crusade, stand up, you know, say a few things and um, a thousand people get saved. No, their main role, they can do that, but their main role is to equip you and I with a heart for the lost so that we can go. And I think the number one reason that most Christians don't share their faith is because they don't know how. They actually haven't been equipped properly to do it. It's the main role of an evangelist. Pastors, what do they do? They shepherd, they care for, for the people, they guide them. And teachers, we need good teachers in the church. We, we, we supposedly, supposedly live in an age of education and yet people seem to be so illiterate when it comes to these kinds of things. And so we've got those five gifts. Now, if you're lucky enough to be in a really big church, maybe, maybe if you're really lucky, you might see all of those five operating well or people standing in the office of those gifts. But most churches don't have that broader mix, which means that most of these ministries are there that are designed to actually travel and to go from place to place so that they can lay in these foundations and help equip people in this way. So what we see in, in uh, Acts chapter 13, um, Paul and Barnabas get released as apostolic men uh, and as you see Paul's journeys continue on, he, he forms a team that has most of these kind of ministry gifts. 
so that wherever he travels and as he's establishing and strengthening churches, he can help actually equip people properly. And depending on the maturity level and what's in place in those, in those particular locations, sometimes he might stay there for a few months, you know, three or four months, six months. Sometimes he might stay there for a couple of years while he's building in these essential foundations. And we spend a lot of time building in foundations into this church. But later on, what you see him starting to do, and actually he starts to do it straight away, as soon as he starts planting churches, as soon as he's starting to go into places, he appoints what the Bible calls elders. And so every place he goes, every church that he plants, he leaves them with a group of elders to lead that church. Now, depending on what kind of religious or background you have, you might have different ideas as to what an elder actually is. Uh, I think for many people, we've kind of relegated that term down to someone who might just be an usher or be on a committee or hand out hymn books or do something like that. But that's not a biblical understanding of what an elder is. And I know I've taught this, so I'm pretty sure most of us probably know this, but there can be people here who don't actually, have never actually seen this. In, in Acts 15, when Paul goes to Jerusalem to actually have it out with the apostles there because they're starting to throw out some crazy doctrine, they're starting to mix old covenant law practices with, the, with new covenant, with the gospel, and Paul says, hey, none of that. He goes to Jerusalem and it says he met with the apostles and elders. And elders. So everywhere he goes, he appoints elders. We see this in, um, okay, let's get rid of that. In Acts chapter 20, he goes to Ephesus and he, and he sends for the elders of the church. Right? For the elders of the church. Why did he send for the elders? Because the elders were the leaders of the church. All right? What does he say for these elders to do? Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To, what is it to oversee something? means to govern, means to rule, right? To administrate something. And then he says, it's the same group of people, elders, who are to oversee, to administrate and to rule. And then he says to this same group of people, be shepherds of the church of God. He goes on and he says, the reason I want you to oversee and guard and be shepherds and to guide and to care for is because there's going to be a time when savage wolves come in and they're actually going to cause confusion and they're going to actually try and destroy people. They're going to try and destroy the church. So be on guard, be aware of what they're going to do. So he's talking to a group of leaders of churches who he designates and calls elders. Right? That is the word, um, how many of you know the, the New Testament was written in Greek? Right? So the Greek word for elder is this. It's the word presbyteros. Presbyteros. 
It's just the Greek word <laughs> that we get the word elder from. It means leader. That's someone who has been appointed to in the office of a leader of a, of a church, the ruler, the governing body of that church. Now, most of us, even today, we don't hear that term very often. Might, might, you might hear, and you might in some churches. But we, we use, you know, most churches use a whole lot of different terms now. We use senior pastor, executive pastor, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. But this is the biblical term. It's the office of elder. And then he uses the word, what does he say to them to do? To oversee, to administrate, right? To look after, to rule. It's the guardianship, it's the government, it's the administration of the church. And that word overseer in our English is the word in Greek, episkopos. Now, do you know what the direct translation of the word episkopos is? No? It's bishop. Bishop. Now, what's your idea of a bishop today? Someone with a funny hat. I mean, that's my idea. Someone with a funny hat and a, and a fancy robe, you know, who, who is command of, in command of, I don't know how many churches they have, you know, but some number, so they oversee a whole bunch of stuff. A bishop. But according to what Paul says, an elder... Someone who's, an appoint, who's appointed as an elder in the office of the leader or leaders of that church, they are bishops. To rule and to have dominion, to govern, to administrate, is to bishop that church. I'm a bishop. Maybe I should get a funny hat. Luke's a bishop. He's an elder in this church. Now, you look at church history, that's changed a lot. Hey? It's amazing how man-made ideas come in to, and, and, and what they're designed to do is to manipulate and to control people. But our role is to actually bring freedom. Our role is to equip and to train so everyone becomes a minister, not someone who stands on a high step with a hat. With me? Then he says, I want you to shepherd, be shepherds of God's people. The Greek word for that is poimain or poimaino. And it means to stand in front of, to stand as an example, to lead, to guide, to care. It's the same person. An elder. Is an overseer, is a bishop, is a shepherd. It's where we get our word pastor from. All right? So when we, when we use the word pastor for someone and say they're the leader of the church, we're actually only describing something of what they do. We're not actually using their biblical title, which is elder. I know it's not that exciting. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I think it's important because every, t every little step away from what the Bible teaches in terms of governmental structure, every step that we move away from that, 
thinking that it's more expedient or it's better or it's easier, we're moving away from the reality of Scripture. Every time you move away from the reality of Scripture, you're undermining it and you're losing authority. You're establishing man-made avenues of authority but not God's avenue of authority. And that's why, I mean, we, we, we never fight over these things with other people. But I think for us, we, we want to make sure that we stand on the word of God, not be pedantic and not make a big deal about it. But I think it is important to understand. Amen? You with me? What do elders do? The primary task is to liberate, to bring freedom, to witness, to bring others to maturity, to serve. They do it as they teach and preach and pray and direct and administrate correct and rebuke sometimes that's not a that's that's a not a nice thing to do but do you know that that's what part of the role of an elder is to do is where where there's distortions of truth people come in with wacky ideas we actually have to stand up for the sake of the church for the sake of the people and shepherd and sometimes shepherding isn't just, oh, they're, they're, they're nice little. Sometimes you've actually got to stand up with some authority and actually say, that's wrong, and it's leading people astray, and we need to get back to the truth of the word of God. Amen? It's not nice, but sometimes we have to do it. All right, um, I've run out of time. Can I just, let, let's just do this little bit. Um, uh, you can write down Hebrews 11 verse 7 Hebrews uh, 13 verse 7 13 verse 17 as well is an important scripture um, it talks about honouring elders, honouring those who have been installed in positions, not to lord it over us, but, but the Bible actually does use the term, honour those who have been set in place over you, right? There's an honouring. And if you read verse 17, it actually says, um, elders are worthy of double honour, especially those whose role is to preach and teach. And if you look at the context of it, um, it's actually talking about money, talking about finance. It's talking about the way that we look after and make sure that they're actually, you know, their families are cared for. It says they're worthy of double honour. I think there needs to be practical honour. I think there needs to be a, a genuine respect for those people, not because they've been put in a position, but because we recognise God's gifting on them and their role. You read the rest of the verse and it actually is, is quite daunting for those who have been who actually carry that responsibility because it says, honour them, have respect for them because they give an account before God for you. That's a, well, man, that's a serious thing. That's a serious thing. Now, I've shown this before, but let's, let's just look at it and we'll close with this. You okay? Can you go a couple more minutes? Have I bored you yet? I said before, every time we move away from God's authority structure and the way that he's designed things, we lose authority. 
And so the authority that people then or churches rely on is their own instead of God's. All right? And so the more people don't recognize that, the more things get put in place to control people. All right? That's not a biblical model. So what you see in the world is primarily two models of church. Most churches, most, not all, but most operate out of one of these two models. The first one is, if this works, it's not working, and I need this next slide, is this one. It's called a congregational model. I won't mention which denominations and which churches operate like that. I think you can probably work it out in the end. But it's where the church basically is ruled by the people which means dominion and government come from people rather than from the leadership team. And so they have the right to actually uh, vote. They form their own committees. They form their own boards. They put in people, put in place people they want so that then they elect who the pastor will be, the elders will be. And, uh, and that leads really to quite a distorted system. What it ends up with is the pastor ends up, you know, we've employed you, so you're the guy who has to do everything. That's the mentality that ends up coming with it. It may not start that way. People might not have that in their heart, but that's what ends up happening. We have an expectation on you. You're the guy we pay. We employ you to do it, so you've got to do everything that needs to be done. So people, what happens with that over time is people abdicate their own responsibility, but they want to have the power, right? What does it lead to for the poor old pastor? Well, he's carrying everything on his shoulders. He's trying to keep everything afloat. He's trying to spin every plate that can be spun. He doesn't dare challenge people because that's his job. He'll lose it, you know? That's called a congregational model and it ends up with powerless pastors who are too afraid to actually preach the truth of the word of God and to actually lead. That's not a picture of biblical church. I could say a whole lot more on that, but I think you get the picture. We can all think of kind of organisations that operate that way. The other one, very similar to a typical business model that we have today, and that you've got one guy at the top, the CEO, and we can all think of denominations and organisations that have religious organisations that have that type of thing, right? Where you've got one guy who's the supreme leader. In fact, in some cases, he seems to be more important than God. He speaks as though he's, his words are more important than what the word of God says. He has his bunch of other people, I've put the word elders and deacons there. That's actually probably not accurate for this model at all. You'll have, you know, executive uh, pastors and youth pastors and worship pastors and this, that and the other thing. And then there'll be boards and committees. And then right down the bottom, you've got just the general plebs who have no authority, can't do anything, not allowed to minister, I mean, you can't even read your own Bible properly because you don't know how to interpret it. So, you know, you've got to go further up the ladder to get someone to explain anything to you. 
And the only way that you can minister, the only way you can have any influence is that you've got to find a way to climb the corporate religious ladder. Anyone seen that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, that comes in different forms. might not be obvious and blatant as that. But generally, what you'll see is most churches will operate out of one of those two models. And I want to say to you today, that's not biblical. That's not God's design. That doesn't bring the governmental authority and the release and the freedom of heaven into the earth. There's another model, and I believe this is much more biblical. And it's this. Triangle represents the church. It's Jesus as the head. And everyone, doesn't matter what you are, doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter if you're a painter or a doctor or a plumber or an electrician or a housewife, it doesn't make any difference what your other job is. Everyone is called to be a minister of the good news of the gospel. And everyone has a part to play. Ephesians 4, if we, if we were to continue reading that little portion of Scripture, verse 16 talks about the way that the church is built up, it is strengthened, it, it comes to maturity as each part does its work. As each person understands who God has called them to be, the authority that has been placed and delegated upon them, the giftings that they carry, they are valued by God and they all have a part to play so that all of us are ministers. We're all running this race together and the only difference, the only, the only uh, separation, well, it's not, even, not a separation, the difference that we can see with those who have been called to lead is that we just end up being the guys who are out the front trying to lead, take us somewhere, together, collectively. No higher value, no, not, not more or less important, just a different role of actually leading the way by example, put in place by God, not self-appointed, right? So there is something that we have to recognise. But we're all in this thing together. Level playing field, Jesus is the head, he is our foundation, he is the one we... Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. You notice that Paul... Peter, these other guys, they never called them, they never said, um, Apostle, here I am, Apostle Paul. Paul only ever said, Paul, an Apostle. I've, I've said this before, I've shared this before. I've been in meetings with, with other leaders and, you know, invited to go to conferences and stuff and, and it's like you're standing there talking, and, and I dared once to call this guy by his first name. And he actually stopped me, and he says, he says, uh, Pastor, you call me Pastor. So you know me, I mean, I'm submissive and humble. <laughs> so I just kept calling him by his first name. <laughs> Uh, folk, we're in this together. It's not, but it's not a free-for-all. Okay? It's not just this or, or, organic 
misinterpretation of the word organic, free-for-all, where everyone just does what they want. Now, everything we do is based on this word, all right? But it's done within a structure of government. And the biblical structure of government, the highest governing authority in the church are elders who work together because they haven't got everything they need in one package. They work together with, with recognised apostolic ministries when it's needed to come in. And, and, and the way that those apostolic ministries work is primarily to build in foundations. Once they, that's what you see, Paul. When, if, if he's thought there weren't foundations, strong foundations, in the life of a church, he would spend more time there. And the churches, once they were established, he, he would only occasionally visit or write back to because he, he didn't need to keep going there because those foundations were established. He wanted to move on to fresh ground and start again. All right? So there's a time and there's a season for certain types of ministry. The bulk of the ministry comes through the elders and through people as they are equipped to minister. That's why I'm not the only voice that you'll hear here. And it isn't just Luke. It's, it's, it's others. Kay will preach. Lucian will preach. Other people, we have an open mic policy. you got something that you, you feel God's put on your heart to share? Hey, come. It's not closed. Everybody has an opportunity to minister. That is a biblical governmental model of church. It's a value that we hold to. This is us. We hold to this as a value because we recognise biblically what it releases into the church and through the church. Amen? So is that helpful? I know, I know for many of you, you've heard, you've heard it before. It's good to get refreshed, but for those of you who have never heard it before, I think it's very important, right? might seem a bit tedious to go through, but I think it's very, very important. Amen. Bless you guys. If you can get down and have a picnic lunch with us, please do so. Otherwise, we've got coffee and tea. Um, and it's around the corner, behind the, behind the curtain. Or out in the foyer, I'm not sure. All right. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Bless you. Keep praying for Farnas. We want to we want to see absolute breakthrough with that man. All right? Bless you.